Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, uh, and I want you to turn today to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Now, if you're a guest with us, we've been studying the book of Revelation for uh, many, many weeks now, and so that's why we're going to be studying this passage. There is a mention of a mom uh, in this passage today, uh, and that's strictly coincidence. I did Did not plan it that way. It just kind of fell that way. So Revelation chapter 12. If you're not sure how to find it, uh, I'm going to put a graphic on the screen that has some basic instructions. But the easy way is Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So if you'll just go to the the very end, you'll hit Revelation. Uh, But if you've got the Bible app downloaded on your device, uh, you can follow these instructions to locate uh, today's passage, the message, the points that we'll uh, be going through. Uh, I have been made aware that in the Bible app, if you use your location to locate us, uh, you have to use the map part. For one reason or another, we're not showing up in the list, but we are on the map. So if you'll pull up the map and zoom in to your location, we're right there. We're the little uh, tag right there next to your location. So I have to tell you that I'm a big fan of Dr. Pepper. Born and raised in Texas, this is God's juice. I'll have you know, no, I've got a good argument here. I want to ask an honest question about this because we need to decipher what the true best cola is. Because there are imposters, false teachers. Put those false teachers up on the screen. Now, answer me this. Every major cola company makes a version of Dr. Pepper. But does Dr. Pepper make a version of Coca-Cola? No. Does Pepsi make a version of Coca-Cola, of Dr. Pepper? No, because Dr. Pepper is the one true cola. There are many imposters. They are not Dr. Pepper. They are shams. They are false prophets designed to deceive you. There is only one true cola. I'm a little bit loyal. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I'm not just saying these things. I truly love Dr. Pepper. You know, a lot of people say, oh, hey, if I went on a diet, I'd struggle with this or this or this. This is what I would struggle with if I had to like cut sugar or something. Dr. Pepper in my diet is a staple. And so I would struggle. Now, I don't drink soda on stage, uh, so I'm going to put a cap on this because you don't want to hear me burp into a mic. Um, Nobody needs that on Mother's Day. I would get chastised by all the moms in here. But we can laugh and joke about this, but I truly am pretty loyal to Dr. Pepper. If I go buy a soda, it's going to be Dr. Pepper if that's an option. Uh, Jana and I went to a restaurant a, a week ago, and we, we sat down, and on the menu, it's, it clearly stated uh, on the drink part of the menu, we have uh, tea and water and lemonade and Pepsi products. And I went, uh, well, I guess I'm getting water then. And then come to find out they did have Dr. Pepper, so I did get to drink a Dr. Pepper with my meal. Praise the Lord. 
but I do have a level of probably unhealthy loyalty to Dr. Pepper. But today's passage makes us ask the question, who are we truly loyal to? Obviously, my loyalty to this right here is fun and we can talk about it and laugh about it, but my true loyalty is not to a soda, right? We, we can all recognize that. My loyalty is to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But today's passage out of Revelation brings an interesting question because we're going to see in today's passage that there are going to be coming a lot of imitators of the true king. There's going to be a lot of things that will come along that will sound really good. I mean, Mr. Pibb sounds a lot like Dr. Pepper. They really tried hard. Dr. Pop. I don't know who makes Dr. Pop. I'm sure it tastes terrible. <laughs> but... There's a lot of imitation. Look at that graphic for a second. Notice that they're using the same colors. They're using some of the same. It sounds really okay. Yeah, this is, maybe this is a good substitute. But anybody who knows Dr. Pepper knows that all of these fall short of the true thing. When it comes to following God, we know from today's passage that there are going to be a lot of things that are going to come into the world that are going to look and sound pretty close. But they're not going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, so take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, we're going to cover a lot of the Bible, a lot of this book today. And so I'm going to breeze through. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. So, so keep up. If you're a note taker, warm that hand up because you're about to take some notes. But look with me in Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 6. It says this. Oh, I'm in John. That's not where I need to be. Okay, Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, if you're a guest with us, if you haven't been here for this series, I've been talking a lot about how Revelation is not supposed to be taken literally. It is a book filled with symbol, uh, symbols, symbolism, uh, imagery that we're supposed to uh, compare to images from the Old Testament and from the Roman culture in order to understand the imagery. And so this is not literally a woman clothing herself literally with the sun and standing on the moon, right? This is a symbol, now, this symbol, being clothed with the sun, standing on the moon, the, the imagery of the stars, it is a conveying from God that this person, this woman, has some level of authority that God has bestowed on her. Okay? So let's keep reading. Verse 2. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Moms, can you identify? Verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. 
His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. He, he, was, he was brought up to God and to his throne. Verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for, by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, now stop there. Let me unpack. We are now in the part of Revelation where all of these characters get introduced. And the woman and her child is the first, along with the red dragon. Now, the woman is the nation of Israel. That's what most scholars believe, and we're going to see a reference to that here in just a moment. She's more than likely the fulfillment of the covenant made with Israel. And who's the child? The child is Jesus. Because Jesus came from the nation of Israel, the promised ruler that would come and bring an eternal kingdom, right? That's what the Bible says about him. And the red dragon is Satan. And he is after Israel and the baby. He's after Jesus. He wants to destroy Jesus before Jesus can even get started. But Jesus has his ministry and he's taken up to heaven. What what does his life tell us? He was born. He lived his life. He taught about Jesus. He died on a cross to save us from our sins. And then he rose from the grave three days later. And then later was what? He ascended into heaven to sit on the throne with God the Father, with the Trinity. And so these things... Uh, are, are symbols of Israel, the redemptive story that God started with the nation of Israel through Jesus who is taken up into heaven. Now, we actually see a reference to the woman again later in the chapter in verse 17. It says this, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, the woman now is not just a symbol of Israel. When we get to the end of the chapter, the woman has now become a symbol, a representative of all the followers of God. And the message here is clear as the followers of Jesus, Satan does not like you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's after you. He does not want you to thrive in your faith. He wants to take you down. So the dragon is Satan. He wants to destroy those who follow Jesus. Now, look with me now in verse 7. It says this, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient servant, serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, in in this passage, it describes the dragon, this war that breaks out between the dragon and his followers and Michael and the angels. And ultimately, Michael defeats the dragon and his followers and casts them down to the earth. 
And Satan doesn't like that. You see, Satan is already defeated. He's already lost. But he's been allowed for a time to roam around this earth like a chained lion. He is not free. He is not given great power. He is a chained prisoner of the victorious king. And the fact of the matter is, is he's roaming around chained up and his purpose is to take down as many of God's creation as he can. His purpose, he's a sore loser and he wants to take down as many people on this earth as he can possibly take down. He wants them to have the same punishment that he's going to have to go through. So what does he do? He roams around. He brings destruction, deception. And he tries to lure people away from the salvation that can only be found in Jesus. Now it says that Michael and his army cast Satan down. And that Satan's not allowed to return to the throne room. What does that even mean? Satan was allowed into the throne room of God? Well, actually, if you read the Old Testament, yeah, he was. If you go read Job chapters 1 through 3, what does it say about how Satan approaches God? It says that he is in God's throne room and he humbly stands before God submissive, but he challenges and accuses the people who follow God. God says, have you seen my servant Job? He is so righteous. He follows me. He worships me. And Satan, the accuser, says what? Well, of course he follows and worships you. You've blessed him. If you take those blessings, then he will curse you. And if you continue following through the book of Job, Satan continually goes back. God gives him permission to take things away from Job and inflict punishment and difficulties into Job's life. But Job continues to worship God. He struggles, but he continues to worship God. Satan, before Jesus, Satan apparently, according to Job, and there are many other passages like this, apparently Satan did have some kind of access to the throne room where he could go to God and accuse us. That's what his name means, actually. Satan means adversary. It's not an actual name. The word Satan in Greek means someone who is an adversary. And the word devil, again, is not a proper name. It is a title. Devil means someone who accuses or slanders, who says bad things about someone else. His job is to destroy and talk bad about us. That's what he does. But when Jesus dies on that cross and rises from the grave in victory over Satan, he is cast down, chained, a prisoner of war. But he is allowed for a little bit of time to deceive as many as he could possibly deceive. So he chases the woman. He chases the child. The child is taken into heaven and the woman is protected. And later, as we read in this chapter, later... He's going to go after her children even more. Now, knowing this, that he is already defeated, that he is a chained 
prisoner, that should give us as the followers of Christ great hope. Because we don't have an adversary that can just do whatever he wants to us. He's already been defeated. He has already been bound in chains. And we, through Jesus, have victory over him as well. As the follower of Jesus, you do not have to be uh, uh, the prey of something who is trying to take you down spiritually. You can have victory. You can have victory over Satan and his schemes. You can have victory over your sin. God's word promises that to us. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but victory sounds good, right? And maybe you've been feeling a lot of the adversary. Maybe you've been feeling at some level deep down inside that that there's slander against you because of some spiritual force. If there's something like that in your heart and your mind, and you know that you need to find a way to have victory over this, there's good news. You can have victory. You see, that's why Jesus died and rose from the grave, was to give us forgiveness, to redeem our broken relationship with God, and give us victory in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, if you want to know more about who he is, if you've got questions or, or if you're ready to, to take that next step and you want to know what a journey with Jesus looks like, I want you to respond this morning. Uh, we're going to have a time, a, a closing song, and I want you to come down to the altar. One of our elders will be down here and uh, they would love to talk to you or you can slip out the back doors. I'll be out in the foyer and I would love to answer any questions. Fill out a connect card. I'll reach out to you this week, but we would love to hear from you And help you answer any questions you may have. Help you understand what following Jesus looks like. So please, today, if that's you, please don't hesitate to respond. Now we get into chapter 13 where we start seeing all these really wild characters. So look with me in chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. That's a wild picture, right? I can't even think, I can't even imagine this fully in my head because it's so out there. Again, this is all symbolism. Verse 2, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, now stop there. If you continue reading this description of this beast that comes out of the sea, you're going to find out that it's a conquering beast. It conquers nations. It's going to use politics to bring about its destruction or the the destruction that it's bringing with it. And if you look back to the Old Testament, the description that you see here in verses 1 through 3, if you go read Daniel 7, you're going to read that same description. You're going to see the same description of the, the, the heads and the, the different beasts that it looks like. This is Daniel 7 being enacted back here in Revelation 13. Then in Isaiah 27, there's this prophecy about a sword that strikes. If you keep reading uh, about this uh, uh, beast from the sea, he has a mortal wound from a sword. And that's prophesied back in Isaiah 27. But this will be 
a political force of some kind. And this political force is going to demand the loyalty of the people of the earth. And that brings me back to the question that I started with. Where is your loyalty? That's today's big idea. The point that I want you to go home and and think about and, and pray about and read God's word. Where or who or what has your loyalty? Where is your loyalty placed? Because there's going to be a lot of things coming down the line. And there already are many things that exist in this world that are calling for your loyalty and trying to pull your loyalty away from Jesus. So where is your loyalty placed? Now look with me at the next character, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all of the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. That's the reference back to Isaiah 27, verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So there's a second beast. There's the beast that's coming out of the sea, and now there is this beast that's coming from the land. And this second beast that comes from the land is going to use worship and religion to point people's loyalty to the beast from the sea. So you've got this first beast. He comes up. He's a political power of some kind, whether it be a person or a government, and then a second beast is going to come along, and he's going to use religion to point people to be loyal and worship this political power, again, whether it be a government or a person. Now, the beast from the land that we just read about is pictured like a lamb, but It speaks like a beast. Now, in the imagery of Revelation, who is the lamb? Jesus, right? So this beast is going to sound, maybe even look a lot like Jesus. He's going to perform miracles, just like Jesus performed, even casting down fire from heaven, possibly. And he's going to point people to worship something other than Jesus. In other words, this beast may look really right. He may sound very biblical. He may sound very Christian. But he's going to point people to worship something other than Jesus. He's going to be very deceptive. He's going to sound really good. But he's not going to quite be quite right. You see, this is what Jesus called the sheep or the wolf in sheep's clothing. That false teacher that comes along and looks like another sheep, but underneath the facade, 
The disguise is a wolf that's trying to devour the sheep. And we have to be careful. Uh, It's an imitation of the truth in reality. I've used this quote a few times. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived, he says this uh, about discernment. He says, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Let that sink in for a second. Because if you look around the world today, the things that are deceiving people away from the truth, in a lot of ways, they sound pretty close. They sound really good. They almost sound Christian and biblical. They're almost right. But in reality, they're not. And discernment, again, is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. That's easy. That's laid out black and white, very clear. There's not a lot of having to decipher here or discern here. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. And this beast is going to be almost right. He's going to look really good and sound really good. And he is going to spend his time luring people's loyalty to the beast of the sea rather than to the true lamb. Now, look with me in verse 16. It says this, Also it causes all, both small and great, it's still talking about the second beast, it also causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. Oh, here we go. Are you ready? There are some of you in the room that's been waiting for this, right? I know you have. What is this? It is so strange, the mark of the beast. Uh, Let me tell you what, what this is. First off, some of the earliest known copies of Revelation, so the oldest, closest to the original copies of Revelation, don't have the number 666. It's actually got the number 616. And biblically, I think you can use both numbers. But what is this? Well, This is what is commonly used back in Hebrew and Greek time where they would take numbers and calculate out letters or vice versa. They would take letters and calculate them out to equal a number. This is called gematria. It's a strange word. But the practice of taking numbers and letters and calculating things back and forth with them is is a study called gematria. The Hebrew alphabet did not have any numbers in it. So so if you were a Hebrew before Jesus' day, there was no such thing as the number one in the Hebrew language. They assigned Hebrew letters to numbers. So the number one is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph. And so letters also equaled numbers. And so they had this practice where you would take a name or something like that, and you would calculate all of the letters in that name, 
and come up with a number. So for example, Jesus Christ equals 888. If you use this practice, Jesus Christ equals 888. So one could calculate uh, these letters and come up with a number. Now, this has been used to calculate all sorts of names. And you can come up with 666 for a lot of names. There are tons of Roman emperors, for example, who was, the Roman emperors were a lot of the subject matter of the book of Revelation and the early church. You could calculate 666 or 616 using gematria to calculate out many of the Roman emperors. For example, Nero, which was the emperor at the time of this writing. Nero, if you spell out Rome, uh, Nero Caesar, then you could come up with 616. You could take Nero Caesar and use a variant Greek spelling and come up with 616. But you could also do that with other Roman emperors and other people throughout history. And so what does this mean? Is this an actual person? Maybe it is. But what's the point? One thing I want you to notice here is this is not going to be just some isolated random thing. The number, the mark of the beast will always be associated with worship. Hear me clearly. Let me say that again for those in the back. The number of the beast will always be connected to worship. So when you see somebody online saying, oh, this thing that the medical community doing is the mark of the beast. No, it's not. Because there's no worship associated with it. There's zero worship. If there's no worship attached to the mark, then it's not the mark. There will always be. You want to know what the mark of the beast will be? It will be some act of worship pointed to a government or a politician of some kind. And that worship will be tied in economically somehow. In other words, you won't be able to buy or sell unless you're worshiping this entity. So if it's not attached to worship, it's not the mark of the beast. Period, end of story. That's one of the few things that Revelation lays out black and white very clearly. And so this will be attached to worship. But I want you to notice something. Back in chapter 7, we saw that the followers of Jesus were going to receive a mark as well. The seal. Remember? If you, if you weren't here for Revelation 7, go back and listen to that message. The seal is the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the guarantee of our salvation. But let me ask you something. If the seal and the mark are similar to one another, and what I'm arguing here is the mark of the beast is a pathetic imitation of the seal of God. The seal of God protects you and seals you for all eternity, and no one can take you out of Jesus' hands if you have his seal. If you believe in him, you've committed your life to Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, no one and nothing can take you out of Jesus' hands. He will protect you for all eternity. And so what does the mark of the beast do? Oh, well, we'll protect your economic safety, but that's it. 
It's a pathetic imitation of the true sealing of God. Now, no one makes the argument. I've not heard a single person make the argument that the seal of God that we find in Revelation 7 is an actual physical mark. So why do we make the argument that the mark of the beast is a physical mark? It could be both. I'm not saying that it is not a mark. I'm saying it could be a mark that is physical, and it might just be you have to declare your loyalty to buy groceries at the grocery store. It may not be a physical mark, but it will be tied to worshiping something other than Jesus. Very clearly, black and white, you will be asked if you want to survive and you want to buy food on this planet, you have to devote your loyalty and your worship to someone other than Jesus. That's what you will be asked to do. That's what the mark of the beast is. So that goes back to my big idea. Who or what has your loyalty? Do you truly devote all of your loyalty to Jesus Christ? You see, in chapter 14, we're going to see those sealed 144,000 sealed people again. They come back into the account, and they're worshiping God. And then a warning comes. Let's go ahead and look at it. Chapter 14 and verse 7. And we'll wrap up with this. Revelation 14, starting in verse 7, it says, And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Verse 8, another angel, a second following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on its forehead or on its hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. You see, it's all connected to what you are worshiping, where your loyalty lies. All this symbolism, all of these characters are pointing to one thing. You, as the follower of Jesus, cannot get deceived by the stuff that's coming. Your loyalty must remain. And some of the things that are coming are going to look really good. They're going to look a lot like Jesus. They're going to look a lot like biblical things. But your loyalty must remain with Jesus Christ. This chapter, chapter 14, ends with an angel coming, maybe Jesus, and he's holding a sickle. Do you know what a sickle is? I grew up on a, on a farm, and a sickle is this big, long blade that's on a, a handle, if you've ever seen a picture of death, you know, the, the cultural image of death, the robed and skull and all that, and he's carrying this big thing with this curved long blade, that's a sickle. A sickle in this day and age was used to harvest wheat. You'd walk around and you'd swing it back and forth and chop the wheat. And this angel is told the harvest is ready. It's time to lay the sickle to the field. And it's time to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, where have we heard that the harvest is ready? 
pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is ready, but the harvesters, the workers, are few. Who or what has your loyalty? There's coming, they're already here, but there's coming more deception. More things to pull our attention, pull our worship, pull our loyalty away from the true King of Kings. And it may sound pretty good. It may sound like something that you really, really want in your life. But it's not Jesus and it's not his kingdom. My encouragement this morning, my challenge to you is pay close attention to the things that have your attention. Who are you listening to? Who is influencing what you believe? Because there are people in this world that sound like they're making good arguments, but they're not biblical arguments. And they have been sent by that chained lion to deceive you from your loyalty to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. And what does it promise? The seal? You will be spiritually protected for eternity. No one can take you out of Jesus' hands. Nothing can take away his spiritual protection. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are, for your love for us, for the fact that as your followers you have sealed us and you protect us spiritually for all eternity. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that you love us so much that you fight on our behalf and that nothing can steal us away from you. We pray today, Lord, that you will help us through your Holy Spirit, help us to see the ways that we are not 100% loyal to you. Help us to see the people or the teachings that are pulling us away from full loyalty to you and your kingdom so that we won't be deceived. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.